Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be with Caroline Hera, who started this really, really interesting and impressive group called SB Plan. And she is on the front lines of what's going on right now with COVID-19 and the effort to reopen schools. And I'm really grateful that she's going to sit down and talk to us today and sort of talk about what SB Plan is, how it started, and where it's headed. And I think she's really tapped into a, a part of our community that really has felt like it has not had a voice. So what she's doing is really impressive right now. Caroline, how are you today? Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Let's talk about SB Plan. Can you talk to me about what this group is and how it formed and give the audience an idea of what was the genesis of this organization? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Santa Barbara Leadership Action Network, or SB Plan, is a grassroots effort. And it was formed approximately three months ago to the day on July 17th. Um, If you recall, Governor Gavin Newsom had just ordered that all Santa Barbara County schools be closed to in-person instruction in the fall due to rising infection rates in our county. Uh, Parents were already pretty anxious about plans for the school year. The spring semester was a bit of a disappointment to say the least. Teachers and students were forced to quickly adapt to teaching online. Many students lacked basic internet access or an appropriate space to work from home. And then the pass-fail grading policy did little to incent students to work hard. Santa Barbara also saw a rise in domestic violence, child abuse, substance abuse, and self-harm, including suicide ideation and attempts. So I started this group at a very intense time when there was a flurry of emotionality in order to help channel those feelings into constructive action to benefit our children, our schools, and our community. As I mentioned, it's a grassroots effort of parent leaders and volunteers serving K-12 schools throughout Santa Barbara County. We are 800 parents, teachers, administrators, and public leaders united by a mission to improve academic, social, physical, and emotional outcomes for all K-12 children attending Santa Barbara County schools. Ultimately, we believe that parents and the community deserve the opportunity to inform ways we can ensure students have equitable access to education and that appropriate academic, social, emotional, and physical needs are met by our schools. We believe that we can best support one another when we understand the myriad issues impacting our neighbors. SB Plan sheds light on those issues. History tells us that when parent leaders and community volunteers are engaged, They can make a world of difference for our schools through education and outreach, advocacy, community building, and fundraising. That's really impressive because you've you've covered sort of a lot of that background that I think a lot of people have forgotten about. You reminded me about the whole pass, no pass controversy that came up and there was so much discussion there about, well, what is the motivation for students if you're gonna go this route? And I think ultimately the district gave people the choice, Um, they could choose their path. But talk to me about you and how you decided to form this group. Social media is super powerful, so you've outlined the reasons for Mm -hmm. doing it. What made you decide to start a Facebook group 
And did you think it would get 800 members this quickly? Right. And yeah. how, how did you go about sort of networking with other other parents and teachers and people who are concerned about this in the community? Yeah, thank you. Um, so that's a really good point. Um, you know, my background is in marketing and communication, so it's what I do for a living. So I understand the power of networks generally to help create a grassroots movement. And so Facebook is part of that. But at the beginning, my intention was to, um, to bring together parent leaders, hence the name, Parent Leadership Action Network. I envisioned bringing together the PTA representatives from each of our schools in order to better understand the specific issues they were encountering uh, within their schools. And I thought, look, who better to spread the word to engage their communities than the leaders already resident within those schools? So at first I started with the website to, you know, sbplan.org. And let's face it, most people don't visit websites. <laughs> it's very hard to get the attention you need. However, it does serve as an excellent resource for people who want to see the intention behind this group, our vision, values, and policy areas. So you can go to sbplan.org to check that out. But I also knew from the chatter on social media that people were already active on Facebook and were talking about the very issues that I brought up. So all I did was really bring together the disparate groups of people who were already on social media wanting to talk. And it's interesting, and I'm probably answering more than I should, but when I first started the group, um, you know, you had a lot of people who were pretty intense and borderline angry, I would say. And at first, I allowed that because I knew parents are angry. They were angry, and they needed some place to express that anger. I also knew it wasn't you know, a sustainable way to manage the page. We couldn't allow this anger to fester. So I allowed people to express their discontent, their anger, and then I said, okay, let's take that emotion and let's channel it into something that's productive for our kids. So I was able to grow the Facebook page pretty quickly to over 800 people right now by leveraging the network of PTA leaders that I knew and teachers that I knew, most of whom I've known now for almost 18 years, because my daughter's almost 18, and with whom I've worked in the past. I am the PTSA president at my son's uh, junior high, Santa Barbara Junior High School. I am on the advisory board for the foundation at Dos Pueblos on the PTA, and I've served in leadership capacities at all of my children's schools, as well as in the community. I was a co-creator of Kick Ash Bash. Uh, so I have pretty extensive connections in the network, and I am a demonstrated leader uh, in terms of volunteering. I'm not the one usually at the front, um, but I'm usually the one behind the scenes doing the work gladly to help uh, move issues along that I'm passionate about that I think our community needs. Yeah, there's nothing, as a fellow parent, there's nothing really more impressive than an, an active, engaged parent because it's so easy to point fingers at what's not happening or at people and what's not happening. But what's remarkable about you is uh, you've been doing the work for years, and uh, now we have this issue that has uh, occurred with schools. And uh, now you're, like you said, bringing together all of these groups to sort of have a platform and a forum 
to talk about these things. You know, I have you mentioned your kids. I have a, a sophomore at Dos Pueblos, and I have a six-year-old who's in first grade in the mm-hmm. Galita Valley Union, and so Galita Union School District. And so uh, I'm at the other end because they're eight years apart. So mm. you know, when you think about like the, the, the high schools and that experience and how significant that is in terms of your lifetime memories. And then I have this first grader who's doing the Zooming and sort of like their introduction to mm. school is an entirely new sort of experience. So, you know, I, I see your passion in talking about these things and, and, I, and I understand it. When you formed this group okay, and you, you went on social media and you decided that you were going to sort of try to bring these groups together, what was the theme? What were people saying? Why were they turning to SB Plan as a platform for them to get their voice out? What was sort of the the collective sort of voice that was starting to, to come out? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I think that the inspiration for this group um, was a discontent expressed by many that their voices were not being heard. And oddly, many still feel that way. They still feel that their voices are not being heard. And although I have to say, kudos to our district leaders, I absolutely think that they are going above and beyond. I do. I think that they are good people, they have their hearts in the right place, and they are trying. However, uh, I don't know the sort of structure of their organization well enough. I've always been mostly in private industry, except for now at UCSB. And so I don't understand it well enough to know the challenges and complexities of of managing their day-to-day lives and our schools. Um, but what's happening is, is that, uh, let me just give you an example. Um, we have been uh, given the opportunity to express our voices and our preferences for in-person school, uh, hybrid, remote, several times. Each time that survey has been administered, the questions are so fundamentally flawed, it has been we have been unable to answer the questions in an effective manner. There's very much a sort of chicken-egg thing. We were asked at the beginning of the year, for example, to give our opinions about how the district is doing on remote learning because they heard from us that we didn't like the way that remote learning was happening last year. So they sent this survey out at the beginning of the year in September. How are we doing? Well, everyone's like, we don't know. We haven't experienced anything yet. So I don't think it's because they don't get it. I don't think it's because they're not smart. They're smart people. They're capable. I think that they don't talk to us first about these surveys and about what they're hoping to accomplish. So they create the surveys in a vacuum. Um, You know, that happened once again. Uh, We were just asked recently to opine upon whether or not we wanted to go back to school twice a week for hybrid and whether we if we wanted remote instruction whether we would be willing to um, have our kids participate in independent study well that's not good for anyone i mean so what happened was someone like me i'll be candid i voted for hybrid because i want my kids back to school in any fashion did i think the hybrid schedule was good No, I did not. I didn't think the questions were good. I didn't think the proposal was good. 
I also don't think it's fair to the families who cannot go back to school because they're immunocompromised or for other reasons, that they are relegated to independent study with no instruction. There, what, that really was just not a good question. And had they gone to SB Plan, which I've been clamoring for, maybe, or to other groups, they would have found out that the survey questions were just fundamentally flawed and would not have generated the results they needed. Unfortunately, they took that data and they brought it to the last board meeting and the uh, our board of directors or the uh, school board voted to postpone going back to school for elementary till January based in part on that sur those survey results. So this is a challenge. So you asked me, you know, why did we start this group? What are the frustrations? The frustrations are the parents don't feel heard and even despite all of our efforts and surveys, we still are not being heard. So that's basically it in a nutshell. <laughs> what does SB Plan want? Do you, do you yeah. want to return to school five days a week, full time with social distancing? Is it a better hybrid plan? Is it something that we don't know yet because we haven't had the conversations with the parents and the school district to discuss um, what, what would be the ideal scenario for SB plan and many of the parents and specifically yourself? You know, um, so because we are a diverse group of parents and teachers and administrators, and I have to say I'm super proud of the fact that our Facebook group includes all of those people. Laura Capps is a member, we have teachers, we have administrators, and we also have parents. And I feel really proud of that fact. So I won't attempt to um, make a statement for all of SP Plan. What I can tell you is that everyone wants equitable access to education. Everyone deserves equitable access. And there is the opportunity to have choice. So for the children and families who do want to go back to school, there should be an option to go back to school. There should be Maximum instruction time, my understanding is that four days of instruction would satisfy uh, the needs of most children and uh, would, would um, allow those who are dialing in remotely not to be sort of overwhelmed with Zoom. So I, I don't know specifically um, you know, the, the structure that we have to adhere to, but my understanding is, is that if we attempted to uh, shoot for four days of instruction for everyone, maybe with one day of independent study, then everyone could be satisfied. Um, so for those, and I came up with a hybrid schedule that I think could work, and it'll take effort, and it'll cause a lot of angst, I'm sure, for many, but it could work. So for example, you could have two cohorts of in-person instruction They would alternate uh, you know, four days a week. So two days in person on four days a week. And those who choose to learn from home could dial into the classroom. Most classrooms are already wired for this type of instruction. The question comes up, well, how do you maintain order in the classroom if the teacher is focused on one or the other, in person or Zoom. Well, actually, the teacher would not be focused on Zoom. The Zoom would be broadcasted and, or broadcast, and uh, would be teaching 
like usual. This has been done actually for 15 years through platforms such as edX. So um, it can be done. It's going to be hard. That would be the ideal. There will be compromise. But uh, once again, I don't speak for everyone um, on SB plan, but I can say that we all, all want the same thing. We want the best for our kids. We want to maximize instruction. We want equitable access to education. And we want a you know, seat at the table, basically. We want to help the district. And once again, I reiterate, communities are better when you engage everyone in the solution. We just want to be part of the solution. It's a really good point. I haven't heard anyone, as far as official in the school district, propose that type of learning because I know with my daughter, it's like we've invested all this time on Zoom with her teacher and she got used to that and she enjoys it. It's working as much as it can work for her, but we're talking about structure. We're talking about expectations and they get, it's important that they have predictability. And then so the options were, this is a Goleta Union School District, the option were to come back, but no more of that Zoom with the teacher. So now you're actually giving up your synchronous, your, your synchronous Zoom time. Now you're in the classroom, and then the other three days, you're doing asynchronous work. So you're actually getting less time with your teacher but I haven't heard up until now any suggestion that, hey, let's go back to school, but you're not gonna lose that connection with your teacher. You're still gonna be able to watch the class or somehow maintain that relationship that you've built up. And uh, that's sort of interesting that no one is talking about that. You know, I cover the school district and you know, I always find that, like you said, they're very smart, they're nice people, they mean well. I don't think there are conspiracies going on in the cabinet, but there is a disconnect. <laughs> um, there's a disconnect in terms of the the PhD, doctorate, academia, in terms of how they think things should work. This is my perspective. And then connecting with actual parents who are on the ground, who are experiencing this on a day-to-day -day basis. So when you talk about the survey, it's sort of interesting. I wonder what program they used or who has expertise in surveying and they said you do it and that may not be the best way to ask those questions the questions are hard to answer like i agree with you because as a parent you're looking at like i actually i don't know what to answer it's none of these you know so it is really difficult has anybody from the cabinet, uh, and you, you're not just Santa Barbara Unified, your group is also Goleta Union too, or are you oh, just yeah. Santa So you're, 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 has anybody from the administration of the local school districts reached out to you and said, wow, you have a big following on SB plan, how do we include you in the conversation? Well, that's so interesting. Um, so I focused on Santa Barbara Unified, obviously, because it's the the biggest and it's sort of a bellwether so as you know the thinking is as Santa Barbara Unified goes maybe others will go but that's not necessarily the case um, so what's fascinating is is that we do have quite a few members from Goleta and I have spoken with the Hope School District Elementary I already know what's happening at MUS because I have relationships there and Cold Spring uh, but no, like Galita has not actively reached out. In fact, they went on our page and said, we started our own page. 
basically, which is flattering. And you know what? I didn't delete that comment. I didn't say you can't poach my users or my members. I said, good, because you know what? What that says is that SB plan is working, that the need for parents to communicate with our, you know, board members, our district board members and other community members is a real need. And we need to carry this conversation out to the other school districts that are not getting as much attention. So um, I have not, I would love if Galita uh, would reach out to me. My daughter goes to Dos Pueblos. Uh, we did not attend Galita Elementary, but I would love that. And what I'm trying to do to that point is make SB Plan more relevant to everyone. At some point, you know, you can't be everything to everyone, right? Every brand needs to decide, okay, what what do we stand for? What is our ultimate purpose? So if you try to serve everyone, you serve no one, right? So we have to focus a little bit on what we're trying to do. At the same time, we do need every school district to participate because then our thinking is limited. We need to know what are the best practices. I invite MUS, Cold Spring, Hope School District, Goleta, all the school districts, to reach out because you know I think we need to know what you're doing and understand it better because we want to be better as parents as a community yeah and I live in Goleta and so I've got two kids in two different districts less than a mile away so it's not really the best way to sort of look at this district and that district because families are integrated into all of these districts. So it's just sort of interesting, you know, if we send one kid back to school and one not, it's like, well, you know, we still come home every day. So, you know, these things are involved and they're connected, right? And and a lot of times families have children in multiple districts. You mentioned your communications background. Can I ask you a question a little bit about you and and sort of, (laughs) uh, you know, can you tell me about your career and and, and sort of how you, got so uh, knowledgeable about social networks and uh, how you became sort of uh, settled here in you know the Santa Barbara area can you just talk to me a little bit about your background sure I have I was thinking about that today I'm like how long have I been here I've been Mm -hmm. here for a while several decades and um, I it was um, I'm surprised I came here in the first place and still live here, honestly. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I grew up there, and my dad was a physician and moved to uh, Washington, D.C., and so both my parents moved. My mom worked at the National Institute of Health for most of her career, and uh, I decided to go to college in Maryland So after high school. So I went to the University of Maryland. Um, but after a few years working as a management consultant, I headed out to California, (laughs) and I got a job in in investment banking. And so I worked in investment banking for several years and decided that the element I loved about investment banking was helping to position startup companies uh, to investors. So I, uh, that's how I sort of transitioned from finance into communications. And I love doing that. And I told someone the other day, because someone asked me, oh, how do you want to participate on this board? And I said, you know, I'm kind of a startup slash fixer girl. Like I love working with early stage concepts and helping entrepreneurs synthesize their message in a compelling fashion to achieve business objectives. I love doing that, which is why ultimately I love working where I work now, which is at UCSB. I manage marketing and communications for our technology management 
uh, uh, department. We uh, have technology management certificates, a master's degree in technology management, PhD, and a new venture competition. And I found out about uh, technology management because I was a mentor, actually, for several of the startup companies during the new venture competition. But I skipped a bunch of stuff. I, I came to Santa Barbara from San Francisco after 9-11. And um, that was a pretty scary time, as we all know. And uh, Silicon Valley was a ghost town. Were you there at the same time? No, and, I was there uh, in 2006 to 2009. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you know how the 101 is, yeah. right? It was like basically tumbleweeds on the 101, okay? Right. No one was on the 101. The, the, this was the double whammy of 9-11 plus the dot-com bust, right. okay? And so I was offered a job in Santa Barbara. So I took a job with a company that was kind of a turnaround. It ultimately did not make it, but that's the kind of person I am. Like I like to fix things and I like to start things. Yeah. So it makes sense that I would start SB plan. I'm usually the one to start and then I let others take over like and I like probably with SB plan you know I'll always be a part of it and it'll obviously evolve over time but I hope that more people will want to get involved and I'm starting to expand sort of my moderators and leadership so that it truly becomes the voice of the community that I want it to be yeah. can't be me you know speaking all the time so I don't know I hope that answered your question gives you a sense. Where, do, where did you get this sense of fixing things from? Is it your father was a medical doctor, you yes, said? Yes, yes. Does it come from that? Or where do you think that desire and passion came from? Yeah, I, I think it's something you're, I was born with. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this the other day and how w my English teacher, I loved English, like that writing and that was, you know, I just loved and politics and I loved everything but loved learning and um, but my English teacher said to me one day Caroline you're such a maverick do you know what that means and I'm like that sounds that sounds pretty cool <laughs> I want to be a maverick like you know I think she meant it in less than a positive connotation at the time but I definitely see myself as a maverick I really truly want to make the world a better place i truly do and um i'm totally comfortable taking risks and putting myself out on a limb to do so and that was another thing that you know i kind of wanted to say today just about leadership in general like it's not easy it's not easy to be a leader and when you expose yourself in that way you become subject to criticism some of it not warranted I think that our school district leaders, for example, are subject to a lot of criticism, a lot of which is not founded, and some of it is. Okay, let's be honest, all right? But leadership is hard, and it, but ultimately, you have to have conviction and you have to make tough decisions. And I think if anything today, I call on our leaders to say, you know what, we don't have all the answers today, but we're going to make a decision. We're going to have conviction. We cannot keep postponing the inevitable return to school because guess what? We're already starting to see COVID climb across the nation. There will never be an optimal time to return to school. The sooner we acknowledge that, the sooner we can get back to making the decisions to support our children. You know, our children cannot stay away from school much longer. Um, you know, I went off the path of what we were talking about, but I do want to mention that our kids are suffering. 
And that's just not an opinion. That's not my opinion. That is based on information I have been told by leaders in the field, including, for example, Elena Walczak at Calm, CEO. She told me that she is fearful for our children because in her own experience dealing with disaster, that our own natural ability to cope with disaster begins to fail us roughly nine months from disaster. So basically, our children will be looking at sort of December when they start to really have the full impact of the disaster of COVID hit them. I worry that with kids not being in school and not having the support network that they need to be able to cope with what they're feeling, that we could have a mental health crisis. I am not an expert, so I don't purport to be an expert. But based on what I've been told, there is a real concern there. Um, so I hope our leaders are listening that let's, let's be aware of this and work towards you know, preventing a health crisis for our kids. And you you addressed it a little bit right now, but you know, circling back to this issue of COVID and the return to school and the perceived disconnect that some of the administrators have. How do you respond to those voices out there who say we don't want to expose our kids to COVID because the last thing we want is to rush back and then have a kid get sick and then something terrible happen? We, I'm sure you heard at the school board meeting on Tuesday, there was a, a parent who had a very uh, touching, sort of compelling, heart-wrenching story about um, something that occurred in her family, you know, and, 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 and the guilt that came with that. Can you talk a little bit about striking that balance? Because there are many people who say, okay, so we're going to go back and then we're going to have an outbreak. And are we really going to feel like we made the right decision at that point? So can you talk about that? Sure, absolutely. So uh, first of all, I'm not a health expert. So I don't have an opinion about whether it's safe to go back to school. However, the experts have spoken. And the CDC, the state of California, our governor, and our local health officials, the Santa Barbara County Department of Public Health, have determined that it is safe for our children to return to school with appropriate safety measures. So I just wanted to state that first. So my opinion about whether it's safe doesn't matter, but the experts have spoken and they have said that it is safe. Uh, However, I acknowledge the fact that some, it is not safe for them. If they are immunocompromised or even if they just don't feel comfortable because they have older uh, family members. We have older family members in town. Absolutely, we you know try to protect them. My feeling is that those individuals, both the families of students, the teachers and administrators, they should absolutely be given the option to teach from home, school from home, work from home. I 100% believe that they should, and I do believe that there are options to allow that. So, um, you know, regarding the teacher's story, um, you know, when she told that story, I cried. It was very compelling, and it was very sad. And I could hear the desperation in her voice. And I absolutely believe that she should be allowed to teach from home. 
she it's very raw for her and she should be given that opportunity let's talk a little bit about the fact that politics has sort of gotten involved in this discussion we're in an election year with the Santa Barbara Unified School District and Galita Union School District. Uh, as a reporter, right, so I've heard, you know, reporters, you know, should be the first to know. They're always the last to know, right? So people come to me and say, hey, there's this new group on Facebook. Have you seen it? And then I've heard it characterized in many different ways. And one of the ways I've heard it characterized is that it's sort of this conservative group, you know, that it's this group that is sort of like, COVID deniers and and they all just want their parents to, they want their kids to return. That's not the majority of how it's been characterized, but I've heard that. And then you had an election and you've got some candidates, of course, who are probably trying to appeal to your group and your members for political purposes. How do you sort of stay focused on the message of returning to school and not get caught up in sort of being another thing in the context of the election you know there's Mm -hmm. there's impact education there's fair education there's all these groups that are trying to say the school district is bad can you talk to me a little bit about where you stand and your organization stands in that political discussion sure so um as i think i mentioned before not sure um everyone has a voice on sb plan everyone, including fair education, impact education, including um, other other groups. I don't even know if there's any other sort of far left groups. I don't maybe you can educate me. We do have a diversity of opinion. We have an opinion that schools should not shut down this year, this school year. And I welcome that opinion. And I also have the opinion that students should go back full time, 100% on both edge. Everyone has the right to an opinion on SB plan. However, if you use hostile language, if you insult other members, if you insult our teachers, that's a no. That's a no, no, no. You will be kicked off the platform. Never, you are not allowed to insult our public leaders, our health officials, our teachers, because that's just not, it's just not appropriate. And if you want to contribute meaningfully I'd love to hear your plan for getting kids to school 100%, you know, back in person. I'd love to hear it. But uh, we really are moderate, and we welcome all voices. And we do get fringe opinions, and we have had to, you know, I've had to to shut down conversations Mm -hmm. and kick people off the platform. Mm -hmm. And I will do that. (laughs) So. You mentioned the no insulting teachers rule. There are people who have raised the issue and there's lots of stories that are coming out in, you know, in LA and the bigger cities about the power of the teachers union in this whole debate. And even if we look at the survey data that uh, Santa Barbara Unified did, the highest no was from the, the teachers and the, the students and the parents were much more agreeable to returning. Is are the is the teachers union driving this? Do you can you comment at all on are we waiting the perspective of the union too much? It's a touchy thing because the teachers are the ones who have to actually be in the classroom. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they are teachers, and it's about students first. Uh, is is the teachers union driving the bus here from your perspective? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because you know uh, oftentimes on our page people will post information from LA Unified, and I'm like, look, 
if you're going to post information like that, it needs to be relevant to the people in Santa Barbara because otherwise it's just noise and it's meant to incite. And we just don't need any more anger and hostility. We just don't need that. So, um, you know, your question is, do you think the teachers union is driving the bus? And I'm going to answer no, I do not. I've asked our public leaders about that. They said no, and I have people on the inside who say no. However, I will say, if you look at what the teacher union is established to do, they are established to ensure safety and fairness and equity of the work conditions of teachers. So someone mentioned on our page that the union has nothing to do with whether or not teachers teach in person. Well, that is not correct because safety is one of the issues the union is going to negotiate. So if they deem classrooms unsafe, this is just my interpretation, by the way, so I'm not stating it as if it's definitive fact. My understanding is if they determine it is unsafe for teachers to go back to the classroom, then teachers will have that bargaining chip. My understanding that our local union is reasonable, that they are wanting, you know, to go back to school and to teach. Um, regarding the survey you mentioned, um, once again, a flawed survey. They were asked, should we go back in November or should we go back in January? So they said we should go back in January because they're not ready to go back in November. So therefore, the question is not, is, is not a good representation of sentiment. Had they said, you know, um, are you ready to go back in November? You would have gotten probably 80, 90 percent, you know, results of teachers saying we're not ready. That makes it different than asking, do you want to go back in January? So of course they don't want to go back in, in uh, November because teachers aren't ready. And you know what's not fair? Because the bottom line is the district has not given us a, a, an adequate schedule. The hybrid schedule they proposed was nonsense. It was not, I mean, how do you even opine upon that? It's, it's not doable. So, you know, here we are, mid-October, and the board is going to vote on a hybrid schedule in two weeks. And parents still don't have any idea what that's going to look like. I'm guessing the teachers don't as well. So this is the problem that, you know, we started SB plan because we didn't have a voice because we felt like we weren't represented in the decision making. And still here we are mid October, seven months after, you know, COVID shut down our economy in March 13th, and we still don't have a voice. So we, we need a voice. We need to be able to help you formulate a workable solution for educating our children that also considers health and safety of our teachers, our students, and our families. This podcast is sponsored by Radius Commercial Real Estate. For over 40 years, Steve Golis at Radius Commercial Real Estate has served the South Coast and Tri-County markets as the undisputed leader in multifamily investment sales amassing more than $1 billion and 13,000 units sold over the last decade alone. With acumen for market analysis and connecting investors with the right properties, Steve is the go-to among local investors looking to capitalize in this unique real estate category. For unrivaled results in the sale or purchase of your residential income assets, contact Steve Golis at Radius Commercial Real Estate at 
www.radiusgroup.com or 805-965-5500. You know, Galita Union passed a hybrid plan in August and they were ready to put it into play, but then the cases started to spike and so they put it on ice. Now, of course, Galita is K through six and it's elementary and it's smaller and I can hear the administrators counter that very quickly. I can hear their words. But the point is that it's really late to not have a hybrid plan. It, it's sort of almost mind-boggling. Now, I know it's tough, but let me ask you this, and, and, I, and I'll talk a little bit about it. I have sort of felt that, like I said, they're all smart and they work hard and they mean well, but do you feel as though there could be a dragging of the feet? As a skeptical reporter, I sometimes feel as though if we push it into October and then we're close to Thanksgiving and then we're into holidays, well, nobody's going to want to open right before Thanksgiving because we're kind of nearing the end anyway. And so we'll start in January. Do you think that there's been a maybe a not intentional, but sort of a, a an effort even subtly to just drag it out as long as we can and let's just get to January because we know nobody would want to start this thing two weeks before Thanksgiving? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously the cynic in me wonders yeah. <laughs> if it's convenient to postpone because of flu season um, and because the holidays and people travel. So when people travel, they tend to carry, you know, the disease, you know, uh, across boundaries and could carry it back home. Um, that won't make anything different, though, than, you know, if we start in January. You know what I mean? So I think... Um, what I think the problem is, is I think what's happening is, you know, the classic analysis paralysis. Mm. I think that we just don't have the conviction or the political courage to make a choice right now. And unfortunately, we just can't postpone any longer. So I don't think it's intentional that we have kicked the can into January, uh, although it looks that way on the surface and it's uh, but I think truly our leaders lack the political courage and conviction to say we are going to do this we're going to make it work and we will lot will we will rely upon you our community to help us do this because we know we don't have all the answers and we know we might make mistakes because that's what leadership is leaders don't have all the answers they have to make tough choices but What's happening now is our leaders are waffling such that we are losing confidence in our leaders. And let me tell you, that's probably the worst thing that can happen right now because I hear a lot of what's happening around town. And what I hear, I hear grumblings of protests, lawsuits. People are not happy, okay? And by the way, that's happening on both sides of the equation. I hear about potential, you know, I don't know this for certain. It's all rumor, so please don't. I mean, you know, take my word for it. But I do hear that on both sides, there are grumblings of protests. And if our leaders are listening, you should be worried about that. Because if we do have protests and a lawsuit, do you think we will be better off for it? That will mean school will be postponed further. There'll be disruption to even remote learning. And the district will be worse off economically. I just think now's the time to make a good choice. You have two weeks left before you need to get a hybrid schedule or a schedule out to parents. You need to engage us now. It's too late, yes, 
but we're willing to work with you. We want to work with you. Please don't ignore our pleas. You need us and you don't want you don't want any more disruption to the school year through protests and legal action. It's not a threat. I'm not personally participating in a protest or threatening legal action, but I do hear that this is happening. And I think that that would be horrendous, frankly, if we were subject to another lawsuit in our district. I'm going to give you, you articulated everything really well there. I'm going to give you the last word. If we could just bring it back to the the students. I know that you've, you mentioned you have a couple of uh, children in the district. Can you just sort of wrap us up and talk about why is it so important for our, our kids of all ages, but if you're a senior, to be able to have that senior experience with your friends in class and not over Zoom in your bedroom? Yeah, um, it's so interesting. So I have a senior at Dos Pueblos, and she's in leadership, and uh, thank goodness, because that's pretty much her only social outlet, <laughs> okay? And so we live 20 miles from campus, so we don't run into her friends naturally as we would uh, if we lived in Goleta. Um, senior year, I mean, who doesn't remember senior year? And, you know, homecoming, prom, you know, all of the rites of passage. You know, it's bad enough that our kids are missing out on these, you know, life moments. Sports, varsity sports. My daughter plays varsity tennis. The worst part of it is I don't hear anyone talking about it. No one is talking about what our seniors are going through, or really all of these milestones that are slipping away. And from a student's perspective, my daughter's perspective and her friends, they don't feel like anyone really cares. No one is talking about what they're going through. You know, right now, this uh, past year, most students have not been able to take the ACT or SAT. They're applying for college, and they're taking an accelerated course load because of the new schedules. My daughter, for example, is on her computer probably 10 hours a day, okay? They're having in, to, in many ways, bear the burden of indecision. So not only is their course load more difficult, they don't have the typical releases that seniors would have, which is time with friends and these, these seminal moments in their senior year. Um, I really worry for those kids. I mean, they talk about the lost generation, you know. I mean, what does that say about what we care about? We're not even talking about our seniors at all. I don't hear anything about that. But even beyond the seniors, I hear little about the importance of getting kids back to school for simple things like sports. We have started at the high school level some sports, but most schools don't benefit from that. K to six doesn't and junior high. I have a junior high school son as well. And they are on Zoom all day. And that's pretty much it. PE is on Zoom. That's all they get. And you know what I have to say, uh, the new principal at Santa Barbara Junior High is doing a great job, James uh, Koenig. So I want to, you know, shout kudos to him. He is doing a great job. Um, but you know, one thing, we talk a lot about health and safety metrics, but we don't talk about the other metrics that need to be considered. And those are the metrics related to overall mental wellness, to truancy, and academic performance. Right now, as we speak, the mental health hotline is starting to uh, receive an increased number of calls and increased intensity. I did speak with Suzanne Grimacy this week because I had my own concerns, frankly, about my daughter who is suffering. I mean, let's be honest. She's suffering with the remote schedule. She wants to go back. She needs to go back in her mind. And so we need to talk about those other metrics. You know, I heard from a friend that 
many of her son's teammates on the football team are failing, basically, out of school. <laughs> okay? I don't know this for certain. That might just be hearsay. But we need to talk about those metrics. So, um, you know, my final statement is, you know, the mission of the district is to do no harm. We have to think about all of the variables in doing no harm. That includes our kids' mental health. It includes all of these other factors, the degradation of, you know, the educational experience, the social experiences, and the time lost with friends. So I, um, I hope, once again, our leaders are listening and that you will bring us to the table to discuss these important matters. Well, Caroline Hara, really appreciate the conversation, not taking a position on anything, just the fact that you're able to organize so many people to be involved and to have a platform and a voice is something that this community really needs. And I think if the district has not been paying attention to you, they're going to have to start really soon. So I really appreciate you taking the time and articulating that and keep up the good work. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And you can find more podcasts like this at SantaBarbaraTalks.com. And you can find them on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google. And thanks to Kiva Cowork for supporting these podcasts.